0: Foundation Radio is brought to you by The Dugout. The Dugout provides custom quality apparel at an affordable price. Modern style mixed with classic designs, you'll find retro t-shirts brought into the 21st century. Adam has several of his favorite t-shirts in rotation from the team at The Dugout, including customized Dudley Boys, Prince in the Revolution, and the Notorious B.I.G. t-shirts. Right now, if you purchase your items through their Etsy site and use promo code FOUNDATION, you'll receive 15% off your entire order. That's right, 15% off your entire order. Follow them on Instagram at the Dugout brand, follow the link on their Etsy shop and use your promo code FOUNDATION for 15% off your entire order. The Dugout, custom quality apparel at an affordable price. Foundation Radio is brought to you by 10th Ward Barbershop. Serving the historic 10th Ward in downtown Lawrenceville, 10th Ward Barbershop is a full service barbershop offering quality haircuts, beard trims, and hot shaves. Adam gets his hair and beard trimmed by the owner of the shop, Ryan Kane, and he loves the laser point precision cuts and lineup he provides to him and countless other satisfied customers. But you don't have to take Adam's word for it. WWE superstars Corey Graves and The Fiend, Bray Wyatt, frequent 10th Ward for all their hair and beard trimming needs. Right now, all All cuts and trims are by appointment only. So head over to their website at 10thwardbarbershop.com and book your appointment now with Kane, Jordan, and the rest of the team at 10th Ward Barbershop. That's 10thwardbarbershop.com. And we thank them for supporting the podcast.
1: Peace and good morning world. Welcome to Foundation Radio. My name is Adam Bernard. Thank you so much for joining me again on this beautiful day of ours. I cannot believe it is almost the holiday season. It is here upon us and we're almost at the end of 2021, which I just cannot wrap my mind around. I feel like we were just here yesterday getting ready to start the year and now we are done. I am so grateful For all of the things that have happened this year, I've had some incredible people. Some of my heroes have been on the show. I just can't express the gratitude that I feel and how excited I am that I've been able to do these things and that you have listened to them, that you have enjoyed them, and that you have been a part of this ride with me. So thank you so much, and I hope that you stick around in 2022. We have a lot of really amazing stuff coming down the pipeline. Speaking of amazing stuff, if you haven't picked up anything yet for your significant other or the wrestling fan in your life, go to pro slash mind of the meanie and get yourself an I'm an Adam Bernard guy t shirt. It works for every occasion. You can wear it to holiday parties. You can wear it to your formal dances. You can wear it to bar mitzvahs. You can wear it pretty much everywhere and tell the world you support Adam Bernard. Right there with your shirt. Remember, it's at ProWrestlingTees.com slash Mind of the Meanie. Today's conversation is with the incredible Chris Van Vliet. I've been very excited about having this conversation for many weeks. I'm so happy we were able to link up. We talk about everything under the sun. And, of course, I hit him with the wrestling rapid-fire questions. Because as a wrestling fan, you know i got to hold your feet to the fire on this Keep it tuned to this. We have a lot of great stuff coming up for the end of the year. Hopefully, we can squeeze another conversation in here. Maybe some more. Sam watches bad wrestling poorly. Also, I want to share with you guys that Foundation Radio is now available to listen to on Amazon Music and Audible. You can find the show there. Hit subscribe anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast. Thank you so much for listening to the show. I am so grateful that you are tuned in and that you are sharing this with your friends. Don't forget all the archive from this year and the last year is available at foundationradio.net. All right, let's just get into the show. Please, everyone, welcome Chris Van Vliet. Chris, thank you so much for coming by Foundation Radio today. It is a pleasure to have you. Um, I was I was so stoked when I saw that you followed me on Twitter, and I've been waiting to link up with you for a long time. So I just wanted to say thank you and welcome to Foundation Radio today.
2: Yes, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on, and always good to talk to a fellow radio guy. Always good <laughs> to talk to a fellow broadcaster. Like we speak the same language. I yeah. love it.
1: It's great, man. It's a it's a it's a unique practice that I feel like you need in the heat of the moment, and it's just all about. Really, I feel like it's re- it's like a couple things. It's repetition. And it's just improv. Like, I feel like if you're a radio broadcaster, you could probably be a really great improv actor, you know, because you oh just, my gosh. Yeah. It's, it's, or even like a freestyle rapper, you know, think about the, the mental linguistics <laughs> you have to do while you're in the middle of a, like a radio set, or you're in the middle of that, like one minute promo that you have yeah. and you have to hit the post. And it's just like, I mean, we, we were just doing that, but it's just like, it's the entire, <laughs> it's this entire mental thing that you have to do in order to make sure you get from one one end to the it's just it's it's fascinating. Did you ever have any trouble yeah. did, did you ever have any issues while you were live on air or did you have the ability to re-record and go back or anything like that?
2: There's no question that being a radio broadcaster made me a better television broadcaster like it made me so much of a better TV host because I was able to be a little bit more free flowing and figure stuff out but when I first got into radio I pre-recorded everything and then i would listen to it back and be like that's not good enough and i re-record it again and then i would listen back and go nope we got to do that again and eventually you just run out of time and be like well one of these is going to have to be good enough <laughs> we were using a system called vox pro did you use something like that i didn't know i used cool edit pro. there's so many different yeah i mean there's hundreds of them
1: cool edit pro was the one that we used
0: okay pretty I, I,
2: used, I i i used cool edit like i think that was the first system i actually learned yeah. on yeah, it's, but, but I, would, I think it was, I was five, recording five, almost five, everything. I was pre-recording almost everything. And then after – it took a while, like six-ish months. I was like, yeah, I think I can say – like I think I can talk for 11 seconds on the radio without pre-recording it. Yeah, like a th- I think that's an okay thing.
1: I I remember one thing that used to trip me up a lot when I was going through like the training and stuff because I went to a broadcasting school and things. And they were always – the biggest thing was always make sure you're not cussing on the air. Make sure you're not swearing and this and that. And it was amazing to me how many folks would trip themselves up while and and doing the read throughs and going through the practices and then they would drop an F bomb. And it's like, guys, it really isn't this difficult. You know, like I'm just yeah. like I'm over here like I, you're like it really isn't that hard though, right? Like, is it, am I just an anomaly or is this really difficult? But no,
2: I look, I don't cuss very often in my regular life. So it's not hard for me to not cuss on the radio. But I always think like picture your mom is on the other side or your grandma's on the other side of the microphone. And you know, maybe you might say, Oh yeah, I cuss in front of my grandma all the time. And (laughs) sure. Each his or her own. That's fine. Right. But I would say like, if you're in front of a group of, kindergarteners you'd probably be a little bit more careful with what you're doing so just take that same mindset and bring it into what you're doing radio
1: i uh, i can hear like i said i uh, i knew right away that you were a radio guy and you did television and you've won four emmys is that correct that's what i've read about you you've won four emmys over the course of your career which is absolutely incredible um, tell me more about when you – because I feel like you have to have a passion for this kind of thing, right? Like one of the things that I discovered really early in my life is I had a natural propensity to just talk to people. I was very curious. I always wanted to know everything about anything And I felt like I knew just enough about everything to like kind of BS my way through a conversation, right? And I sort of translated that into doing stuff on the radio, doing stuff with TV in college, and now here doing Foundation Radio as a a full-time broadcast, uh, podcast rather. Tell me more about when you realized, yeah, I have it. I know I can do it.
2: I still think I'm a pretty introverted person. Like I think I'm the I think I'm an introverted extrovert, right? Yeah. And I've I've spent a lot of time in my life trying to be interested rather than trying to be the interesting person. And I think that that's like there's a really big distinction between the two. But I was really introverted. I didn't really come out of my shell till high school. But always loved performing. Always loved broadcasting. And if I go way back, I had a Fisher Price tape recorder when I was four years old with actual cassette tapes. And I would pretend to be the radio broadcasters that I heard on the radio. So my mom still has those tapes somewhere where I'm pretending to be a radio DJ. That's where I really fell in love with the idea of broadcasting. And I was in some plays in like high school and church and like growing up. And I was... Like I, I love just I love the idea of being able to get a reaction out of people. Whether you were playing a character on stage and getting people to ooh or ah or laugh, or in high school, I wanted to be the vice president of my student council because the vice president was the person that got to do the morning announcements, oh, and that was go. like my own radio show. So I just love the idea of being able to. I hosted the fashion show. I hosted the talent show in high school. I just loved that idea of being in front of people, having a mic in my hand, and all eyes were on me, and all ears were on me, and you kind of guided whether this was going to go well or this wasn't going to go well at all.
1: It's funny you mention that, though. I want to go back to what you said, though, about being an introverted extrovert, because I feel like that is probably the most perfect description of me that's ever been done. Like, I want to be the guy in front of everyone. Like, I perfected my Chris Farley impression all the way through middle school and high school. And I would do it for anyone that would watch, but then I wouldn't want to be left alone. Right. And it's a weird yeah. because like when you're in, when you do things like this, it's always, it, it really is that I think the key to it is not being the person that's interesting, but presenting the other person that you're talking to as the interesting party. Right. Almost like a, as a hype man. Right. Um, have you, yeah. have you felt like that's ever held you back being an introverted extrovert? Or did you feel like you've used that to your like full advantage?
2: I think I can turn it on when I need to turn it on, but I am definitely not the life of the party. I'm not the guy who walks in the door and goes, hey,
1: everybody, I'm
2: here. I've never been that guy. And I actually caught myself a few years ago. I went on a cruise with my parents and we were sitting in the audience and they were looking for volunteers in the crowd. And you would think I'd be the first one to jump up and want to be in front of the crowd, you know, doing my thing. And I found myself going, No, I'd rather just watch. I'd rather just watch and like let this play out. I'd actually rather be the guy who's hosting this on stage, rather be the the focus of the attention. But I caught myself in that moment going, this is a really interesting observation. That I wasn't the person whose hand first, you know, immediately shot up like I wanted to join them on stage. I was just kind of like, no, 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 like I'm happy to just watch this
1: thing. That's crazy. Yeah. And I've, I've never been that type of person either. It's only when I'm doing Chris Farley and I'm trying to get laughs from people is really the only time I want to be like, you know, the person. But I remember, too, as a kid, we had uh, the Talk Boy from Home Alone 2, which also had the cassette oh, tapes. Oh, yeah. And I spent a ton of time imagining myself as me and Gene Okerlund or as one of the announcers that I would watch on television, you know, Tony Schiavone or Bobby the Brain Heenan, and I would practice being these different people in and out. And I know that you're also a big pro wrestling fan as well, and you do a lot of really incredible interviews uh, on your YouTube channel and on Insight. I really enjoy them. I loved your your interview with RVD, and I loved your conversation with Eric Bischoff, which I've he's been on the show here as well. I feel like for me, as a 90s wrestling fan, like you just can't get bigger than you know, easy E on, on your program. But, um, how, tell me about your love of professional wrestling. Has it, has it been there your entire life? Has it been something that you really enjoyed? Tell me, tell me your, your first start with that.
2: I really became a huge wrestling fan during the attitude era. So like 98 ish, I was aware of wrestling up to that point as everyone is, but I got drawn in and it's, it's kind of crazy how it happened. One of my very best friends named Vince watched wrestling every Monday night. And we did this crazy thing in the nineties. When you had a best friend, you did this crazy thing called talking on the phones. <laughs> Wild, right? <laughs> so we would talk on the phone almost all the time because that's what you did in high school. And I knew that at Monday night, nine o'clock, our phone call would abruptly come to an end because Rob was coming on. Yep, yep. And I said to him one, one Monday, we weren't quite done with our conversation. I said to him like, All right, man, like I'll put it on so we can like continue our conversation. And I just got sucked into it. And it was Austin McMahon was the big storyline at the time. And I went from watching no wrestling to watching everything: Raw and Nitro and Thunder and ECW and Shotgun Saturday and Sunday Night Heat. I watched everything. And I was just really drawn into the larger-than-life characters. And I always really loved fitness. And I was working out a lot at the time. I just started, like, I just got a gym membership at that time. But I was drawn in by, like, the Triple H was massive yeah. at that time. Kurt Angle in an amazing shape. Well, he, I guess he didn't come until a little bit after that. It was but, still
1: in the same timeline, yeah. Yeah, Ken
2: Shamrock and Chris Benoit. I was just drawn into, like, how jacked these guys were. And it was, like, this perfect mix of all of the things that the 16-year-old version of me liked, like, together in one.
1: Yeah, they were, uh, there were larger than life figures all the time on television. I, uh, I was a raw guy. I gotta be honest. I was a nitro guy up until the point that like, I guess finger poker doom. I think that was when it like really turned me off. But um, I remember being a kid and watching Andre the giant on TV and like right at the end of his career, you know, like 89, 90, but man, there was nothing for me more special than wrestling. And I felt like for me, it gave me a sense of community. You know, it always felt like I was a part of something really cool because I was now included in something. I was, you know, being a kid, it's always a weird time and, and, and not feeling included in a group, but um, that sense of community and you've really, I love the way you've translated that into these conversations. Do you think that having that background and knowledge of pro wrestling as your fandom has really helped you propel these conversations that you have because you have that context in your head while you're talking to them?
2: Oh, 100%. I think that that's why my interviews were able to catch on when I first started doing them Well, we start, started putting them on YouTube 10 years ago because I've worked as an entertainment reporter and TV host for most of my career. And we're interviewing people from all different walks of entertainment. So comedians and actors and uh, directors and musicians, all kinds of people. And then WWE was coming to town when I was working in Vancouver. I was working in Vancouver for MTV2 Canada. WWE was coming to town and I asked my boss, I said, do you think we could interview a wrestler? She's like, yeah, we've done that before. And I went, oh my gosh, I'm going to get paid to talk to a wrestler. This is crazy. (laughs) So it was so cool to be able to talk to them about the things they wanted to promote. But I also asked questions that I was genuinely interested in as a fan. And really no one was doing that at the time from the quote unquote mainstream media where they were talking to wrestlers on the same level as them, you know, instead of like surface level stuff, you were diving in deep. Like you were talking about like some hidden gems of a match, or you were talking about like moments that happened before or after promos. And like the fact that you even knew what a promo was, I think went a really long way. And I would let them know pretty early on. So I would meet them in the lobby of the TV station and I would let them know really early on like I'm a big wrestling fan or I was at WrestleMania last year or whatever. And then on uh, like all of a sudden it's like, "Oh, cool. Like you you get it. Like you're you're there because I still think that unfortunately even though wrestling is one of the most watched shows on cable television on a Monday night or a Wednesday night or a Friday night on network television with SmackDown, I still think that there's unfortunately this stigma. If you like wrestling, you get it. You're right in there and you understand the nuances of it. If you don't like wrestling, if you don't watch wrestling, you are on the other end of the spectrum completely and you don't get it at all. You're still one of those people who will ask the ridiculous question of, don't you know it's fake? To which I always reply to them, like, don't you know that every TV show is fake? Like it's, you're watching a television program.
1: Like the reason I'm watching this is because I'm in on it, right? Like I get that this yeah. is basically a soap opera for men, right? Which now Can it's
2: you becoming- imagine standing outside of Hamilton on Broadway, <laughs> and as people were coming out going, Yeah, you liked it, but didn't you know it's fake? Like, that's not actually Alexander Hamilton up there.
1: I gotta clue you in on something. The DeLorean Okay, it doesn't actually fly. Okay, and it's not a time <laughs> right. machine. I know you love. But the how movie. could you like a movie like that if right? it's fake? It's so stupid. It's so <laughs> dumb that you watch it. Like the, the logic, the 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 level of disconnect that you need. Look, I just want to be entertained. It's a form of entertainment. It's something that spoke to me, and I enjoy this. Right?
2: Absolutely. And whenever I whenever I use this argument to people who don't like wrestling, they're like, "Yeah, but they're pretending it's real." I'm
1: like, "Oh God." But- So, so is Seinfeld. They're pretending it's real. And they're all pretending that the stuff is funny too. Like it's, it's, there's, there's a lot of pretend that goes in. This is a lot of uh, suspending of, of, of reality that goes into these, these forms of entertainment. But man, I, uh, I am very impressed, uh, by your, uh, catalog, your resume of interviews. I mean, everybody from the rock to Hulk Hogan, uh, Oprah Winfrey, uh, I saw on your list, which is just like, you know, talk about two ends of the spectrum here. Um, tell me what it's like for you to be able to utilize all of these skills and be able to talk to people as prolific as Oprah Winfrey and at like, like Dwayne and, and all of these different uh, avenues that you're taking. What is it about being, having the ability to ask these questions that allows you, well, let me, let me rephrase. What is it about your skill set? that makes you feel like you're, you're so popular with people when they ask these questions, right? Like, what is it, how, when you ask Oprah, when you're approaching Oprah, what's the first thing that pops into your head? And then how do you, how do you overcome that fear? Because I know I would have a fear standing in front of Oprah Winfrey, right? One of the the primo entertainers, entertainers and interviewers of our time. And now I have a microphone here for a minute and I have to ask her a question, right? Like what's going through your mind and how do you overcome that?
2: Well, look, man, I've been so incredibly grateful to have the opportunities that I've had over my career to talk to some of the biggest names on the planet. It's certainly not like walking up to Oprah and thinking of what to say. Like, There's a lot of thought that goes into it. Absolutely. But I think it, it begins with realizing that they're also just a human, right? They're a human who worked really, really hard. And I think that It helps to realize that they're just in the position that they're in because they worked really hard. Maybe there's a little bit of luck in there, but they worked really, really hard. And what I like to do is I like to be able to talk to someone about like the full picture of the the whole journey that they've been on. Because so often, especially on social media, we just see the the finished product. Right. We just see Oprah with what she's doing now, or Tom Brady with seven Super Bowl rings. We don't see the path to get there. We just see them at the like the finished product at the end. And I think it's really interesting to realize that they've also had a journey. They didn't just wake up and were famous one day. They didn't didn't wake up and they were rich one day, especially with someone like Oprah. Like her story is Crazy, unbelievable, right? Story. Where she's come from and everything that she went through growing up. It's important, I think, to put all of that in context when you're speaking with someone. So I also understand when someone's promoting a book or a movie or an album that they're doing 30, 40, 50 interviews right. in a day. Right. So I try to think a little bit outside the box and ask questions maybe that they haven't been asked before or try to ask those questions in a different way. And I'll never forget, Tony Robbins said, the quality of your life is the quality of the questions that you ask. And I think that that's a really, really powerful statement because you could ask the same question two different ways and get two completely different answers. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a really important thing to to ask yourself when you are approaching an interview, is this the best way that I can ask this question? And if it's not, what could I do to rephrase it?
1: That is an excellent quote. And I think about that often. You know, and typically when I'm I'm preparing for an interview or I'm preparing for a conversation, uh, there's there's a certain level of fear that goes into it, right? There's a certain level of like, Okay, so Eric Bischoff has agreed to be on my program, right? I'm just this guy from Philadelphia. You know, I'm here, and now I'm talking to arguably one of the biggest minds in professional wrestling. This guy has been asked the same stuff 150 times, 150 different ways. What was it like during the uh, the Attitude Era and the Monday Night Wars? What was it like turning Hulk Hogan heel? I want to know about his thought process on the three-part arc, right? The story structure, the hero's journey inside of the, the wrestling world. I want to dig yeah. deeper and get those questions out of them and find that detail because when you find that connect, man, I mean, it, it's like a light bulb that goes off, right? And it's just they open up and people tend to talk to you more, and I think that's what made that's what's helped make me a little bit more successful, too, is finding that connection with people and finding that way to break the ice quickly and allowing myself to get over that fear. Because I'll, I'll admit, like anytime I go into an interview, whether it's with an Eric Bischoff or, you know, a friend of mine who does music, it's a ve- there's a nerve wracking energy that comes with that. Right. And I think that one of the things I took away from you was, you know, just do it right? Like you're on your, on the, the pin uh, video on your YouTube page is you doing a bunch of stuff that you're afraid of. Right. And like, it's really, it's incredible, right? It's, it's, it's inspiring. And it allows me to be like, all right, well, if he can go and swim with an alligator, you know, I I can, I can have this conversation with somebody. Um, That was
2: the whole point of that video. The whole point of that video was going, there's too many people on this planet who are scared of things they've never tried. Yeah. Like you would say to them, like, well, would you ever go skydiving? Oh, I would never do that. Or, or those people that stand on the side of the dance floor at the wedding. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm just, I'm just not a dancer. Well, you're not a dancer because the story you're telling yourself is that you're not a dancer. Right. Give it a try and then go from there.
1: Now, as far as that video goes, cause I, again, I got to know, was there anything in that video that you did? Cause you did a lot of stuff, right? Is there anything in that video where you were like, right before you did it, you were like, I really, I'm really testing myself. I don't know if I want to do this. Cause I think for me, it would have been definitely the reason I mentioned the alligator. Cause I think that would be like, I don't know guys, this might be the line. I don't know.
2: The alligator was probably one of the least scary moments as crazy as that sounds because the two people that were in there that were handling them, you know, they're, they're professionals, Chris Gillette and uh, Gabby, Nicole, she goes by on Instagram. They are They're like they go in there and they they handle these alligators every single day, right? And I kind of thought to myself, well, they're no they're no different than me. They're certainly more experienced, but they're no different from me. If they're this comfortable around these alligators, I should also be pretty comfortable around them. So that one, that was actually pretty serene, being in this like swimming pool looking thing, being in like a tank with an eleven or ten foot alligator. That one was pretty calm, but. I did a segment uh, when I was in Miami. I did a segment on the Fox affiliate in Miami where I basically handed them my bucket list and said, can I do this stuff? And my boss said, yeah. We turned it into a segment called Keeping Up With Chris. And it was the stupid little things that you wouldn't think would be scary that ended up being the scariest. Like I, I did mountain biking which, you know, kind of, kind of sounds a little bit bizarre because there's not a lot of mountains in Miami. Right, right. But they built this trail and I was riding my mountain bike on a trail that was, I don't know, maybe like 12-ish, 18 inches wide. And it was winding around. It's it's made of wood. So it was like raised and made of wood and we're like ry- winding it around. It was called Highway to Hell. And I took a corner wrong and i went my front wheel went off and i flew over the handlebars oh and i face planted and i landed if i wasn't wearing a helmet my god i landed like right on my forehead and my head and i was like i looked at my cameraman and i'm like am i okay and he's like ah <laughs> uh. i'm like am i bleeding he's like yeah you're a little bit a little bit of blood yeah <laughs> and it was moments like that where i went ah uh, okay I went into that whole, that whole segment, every single time I went into every single one of those segments feeling like I was invincible Yeah, with the idea, with the idea that if someone else can do this, then I can do it too. And, you know, sometimes I made an ass of myself and that's what made the segment funny. And sometimes like I would figure something out really quickly and you'd be like, oh man, like I learned, I had the long snapper for the Miami dolphins teach me how to do a, like to long slap a Long snap of football. Wow. And I learned it in like
1: 15 minutes. Not great, but but good enough that I could long snap it back 15 yards. Wow that is incredible, man. That is like, how do you, like, I'm just trying to imagine cause I'm not a sports guy in any way, shape or form. So like my like it basically I'm running down the sidewalk and I'm like, guys, like time out, you know? So <laughs> is it like, I can't even imagine being in a position where you would have that opportunity. It just sounds incredible, right? For me again, and I guess for most people, that's what you talk about. It's that level of fear. Like, what are you waiting for? Right? So yeah, I, and I just went really into cool this, thing. like,
2: I went into this with a total beginner's mindset and knowing that, Every single process can be broken down into like step by step by step. So if someone can just show me like, yeah, you do this, then you do this, then you do this, I'm like, I'll figure it out. If it works, cool. <laughs> it doesn't. I just like to swing for the fences, and yeah. you'll see that in like my my highlight reel of the interviews I've done. I'll just swing for the fences and ask like either really bold like questions, like I asked Gerard Butler if he would punch me in the face, like do a, do a movie punch. <laughs> And if he, if he were to say no, it would have just been like, oh, okay, well, you know, I had to ask, but if he says yes, it makes for an amazing moment. So I figure swing for the fences. If it works out amazing. And if it doesn't work out, nobody has to know other than like you and Gerard Butler. And
1: that's it. Right. It just hits the gutter cutting room floor. And then that's the end of it. Right. That's it. One thing I do, I like to kind of talk just more current events with everybody, um, as far as like life in the, in the, the world in the time of COVID, right? One of the things that you talked about was talking to your friends on the phone. And one of the things that I've noticed in a lot of your conversations and some of your other interviews, as you mentioned the in-person aspect of talking to someone, I really do feel like there's a, there's a huge difference between me and you talking right now on zoom. And I think this conversation would be a little bit different if we were in person. Was it difficult for you to adjust to a a zoom life during some of your conversations uh, with a lot of the interviews that you've been doing recently have been, you know, via zoom and and not necessarily in person. Was it difficult for you to transition there? Or did you feel like you missed a step as you were doing it?
2: I didn't even have a zoom account (laughs) before COVID started. (laughs) And remember back, you know, last March when this was only going to last two weeks. Yeah. So I had enough interviews to get me through the end of March. Okay. And I thought, okay, well, I'll be good. Like in two weeks, this thing will be over. Cause that's
1: what we were told. Everything is great. We'll be fine. This is all going to blow over. Everything will be good.
2: Yeah. yeah. So I ended up getting a zoom account and started figuring it out. I didn't even have a microphone. I didn't have a webcam. I was just using like what was built into my computer. And I kind of gambled that like, I think this is going to last a little bit longer. So I spent the money on buying, you know, a solid microphone. You've got the Rode Podcast. That's such a or pod mic. That's such a great mic. Yeah. I actually had that mic. That was the original mic that I bought. Oh, really? And I I really think a big thing in podcasting and YouTube videos is perception is reality. Yes. If it sounds good, people think it's good. If it sounds bad, <laughs> people immediately think it's bad. Right. So, it was difficult because I'd never done a virtual interview for my YouTube channel. They were all done in person. I had done some satellite interviews in my television career where you sit on the set, you're mic'd up, and then they patch them in through satellite and you talk to them pretty much like this. I don't think that really exists anymore. I think it's just all Zoom now.
1: Yeah. It's a lot more streamlined but it was, now, Chris. Yeah, it's everything's everything's yeah. one, one place now. Yeah.
2: It was a big adjustment though, because I'd never done it before. And I think that there's something to be said about sharing the energy with somebody, like being in the same room as I'm shaking their hand, hugging them, making actual eye contact with them. Because as great as this is, and I think that if COVID were to happen in any time in human history, this is the best time for it to happen because we can be so connected with social media and Zoom and FaceTime and phone calls that aren't long distance. Like if this happened 15 years ago, we'd be spending 49 cents a minute to be having long distance phone calls with mom. You know, <laughs> So I think that we're really fortunate in that sense, but nothing beats being able to do something in person because right now I'm seeing a two dimensional representation of a three dimensional being. And that's cool. It's a, it's a great advancement, but it's not, I, I'm not
1: technically speaking meeting you. Right. It's, uh, it's, it is. It's difficult. And I, I recently I, did an, I had a conversation with um, a friend of mine, Robert Costa from The Washington Post. And it was the first in-person conversation that I had had since March of 2020 for the show. Happened to be in Yardley. I went up to meet him. He was doing a book signing in Philadelphia. And we did this really great episode. And I listened back to it. I was like, wow, the energy really is different because we are connecting. And one of the things that he did mention is I asked, I always ask him like, any advice for me, Bob, you know, like we've been, we've been colleagues for 20 years, any advice he goes, yeah. And it, it's funny. You mentioned this make eye contact all the time. He's like, you're good at it, but be better. Right. That's the key to this is having a conversation because you really want to bring people in. And I, I feel like that's really part of your success. Cause I'm noticing that even as I'm watching you on the screen, your eyes haven't darted away, right? So tell me a little bit more about like, are there uh, if if someone like me who's working to achieve to the next level, what would you recommend to me in order to achieve that next level, and what worked for you?
2: Jeez, I'm trying to get to the next level, so I don't know. I need someone <laughs> to come in and tell me. But I do remember when I got my first TV hosting job, I would talk to the camera. So I've been looking at you on the screen, by the way. And if right. I look here, I'm looking directly at the camera. So. I would start off a TV segment and I would kind of like do a little bit of this and I would look at it and then I would like look off because that's kind of what we do in our everyday life. You don't ever like stare into someone's soul, especially when you're talking. (laughs) The interesting thing, and I've definitely learned this the more interviews I've done, the listener, which is often the interviewer, is the one who's making eye contact. I ask you a question and I'm going to look at you as you answer that question. I want to show great respect to you. The person who's speaking oftentimes we'll be looking at you as you're asking the question and then you'll notice this so much now especially in an in-person interview they'll start telling the story and then they got to think of some stuff and it's over here and then they got to think of something else and it's really interesting now that I pick up on that so in my first TV job my boss said you need to make eye to- eye contact with the camera lens the whole time and I went oh I I haven't been doing that. And she's like, no, you haven't been doing that. And I watched back some videos and I went, oh, you're right. And the second, especially if you're an on-camera host, the second your eyes dart somewhere else, it either A, looks like you're distracted or B, looks like you have no clue what you're talking about.
1: It's uh, I, I often feel like that too. Cause I'm a fidgety person as it is. I just can't sit still. So I'm constantly fighting in my own head about like sitting still for like five seconds. Right. And I really feel like that's something that I need to work on for sure. But I, I noticed that that is something that I, when Bob was talking to me, man, it was dead on accuracy the entire time. And I feel like that is a really important part of conversation as well. But, um, how much do you attribute discipline to your success?
2: I think uh, I think discipline can be attributed to just all aspects of our life, and I think that just having a a guide in my life of what I'm going to do that day, whether it's wake up and go to the gym or it's get to bed by a certain time, I think that that's really really important. I think what's helped me a ton in broadcasting is just repetition. Right. And I've look I look at my stuff from I look at my stuff from the start of my career, and I'm like that was so bad, and. I even look at stuff from like recently and I'm like, yeah, I could, could definitely be better. And it was Ryan Seacrest that said it, that if you don't go back and look at your old stuff, even if it's like six months ago and kind of cringe a little bit, then you're not heading in the right direction.
1: I, uh, I, t- I typically go back, I don't even listen back to this interview, and I'll probably cut stuff because so I'm like, oh, man, that sucks. I could have asked that question, stumbled over it, but honestly, it's learning. I always look at things, even failure, right? Failure is a huge thing that I've, I've, I've had in my life, and I never try to look at things as, a, as an opportunity. I always look at things, rather, as an opportunity for improvement. Right. How can I take this lesson and apply it to my larger life? Cause we all fail. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest thing that hold people back. You know, if I would have just sat for a second and said, you know what? I'm a nobody. I'm this guy from Philadelphia in a sea of 600,000 wrestling podcasts. Eric Bischoff's not going to want to come on my show. You know, you're not going to want to come on my show for sure. All I did was reach out to you. How easy was it for me to reach out to you and connect to you? And that's what happened. Right. So I think a huge segment of people and what I try to do, try to practice in my everyday life is not be worried about failure, not be worried about that idea of failing because everybody fails. I'm sure you failed in your entire life. Have you ever had anything spectacular that you've ever failed at in your life and you went back and and saw that as the starting point to something huge?
2: Oh, it's not win or lose, right? It's win or learn in every single aspect of your life. And I always bring up this story about the rock. So when I interviewed the rock for ballers, Think about this. In Ballers he's playing a retired NFL player who's now figuring out life after the league. The rock's goal in life, the rock's main goal in life was to be an NFL player. And the rock, incredibly successful as successful as he is, failed at his goal. So on the red carpet for Ballers I said, you know, your main goal was to become an NFL player and you know you didn't get there. If you could go back and change anything, to make that happen, to achieve that goal. And obviously things worked out pretty well for The Rock, but would you go out and change anything? And he said, no, like sometimes the best things in life are the things that don't happen. And that one really like hit me to my core that sometimes you think like I need to do this, then this, then this, and it's gonna lead to this. Well sometimes it doesn't work that way. Sometimes the path to success isn't like A to B. It's like a whole bunch of other things and then you find B. And I think that that's a really interesting thing to kind of think about and to figure out. I definitely thought my life was going to be different growing up. Like I thought that I was going to be on like entertainment tonight like in a second and it didn't work out. And you know, I just I, I, I never had that opportunity and the people who did you know they're very successful and they've had great careers but i wouldn't be in the position that i'm in right now sitting here talking to you right now if it wasn't for all the things that happened in my life so i'm really aware of that and like super grateful for the path that's led me here
1: I, uh, I, f- I often feel the same way, Chris. I got to be honest with you. I'm often in a lot of ways sort of Monday morning quarterback in my own life. You know, it's, it's 1130 at night. You can't sleep and you just stare at the ceiling and you start thinking about all the things you didn't do. And you start thinking about all the things that never happened for you. And then I realized, like, if I didn't take the, the, the chances that I did and I didn't take the uh, opportunities that were in front of me in spite of the things that were behind me now... I wouldn't be in the place that I am in. And I'm great. I am, I I can echo that completely. I am, I am grateful every day to wake up where I am with my family doing this, right? Like who I would have never imagined doing something like this 15, 20 years ago, right? Talking to somebody on my computer for a show that's going to play on my telephone, you know, like it's just, to me, it's just, it's so, it's an incredible journey and it's incredible to have this platform to do this. But um, it's just, it's wild, man. What life is, is yeah. I, I, you know, I've lost many friends to the, you know, the, the opioid abuse and it's just, I, I wake up every day grateful to, to have another day because a lot of my friends didn't make it to 36. They never made it to 26, yeah. you know? So yeah. I tend to really look at things that way.
2: I think I, I learned a really big lesson when I stopped taking things so personally and it's really hard like to not take things personally as a whole, but we're in an industry where you are the product, you know, like your voice or your face and your voice, whether you're on radio or TV, you are the product. (laughs) And it's really hard early in your career when you're so close to getting a job and you don't get it, it's really hard to not take it personally because again, you are the product. They didn't say no to you as a job candidate. They said no to you as the product. And I think I started living a much better life when I realized I just wasn't the right fit for that at this time, or they were looking for something different, or I wasn't ready for this opportunity. And the second I started taking things not as personally, I felt like I just felt like so much lighter. Yeah. It feels like
1: it's a a relief because you, like you said, it's not, it's not right. It's not a never, it's a not right now. And eventually, yeah. I'm going to get there, and I'm going to bust my ass to get there, and I'm going to do everything I can to get to that point, and I'm going to take yeah. this lesson and I'm going to apply it to everything else. Um, and I think that's really, I think that's really what's helped me succeed and be more successful. One of the things I do always generally struggle with, though, is that that level of self value. Though, you know, I feel like you're the you're the kind of person you are uh, very successful. Do you struggle with those things with self value, self worth, self love? Is that something that that comes into play in in any of your thoughts or or you know, any situation in your life. I think it's
2: realizing what your value is, especially if we're going to talk about broadcasting, it's important to know like, what do I bring to the table and what do I value that at? And I think that there's, you know, we're in an industry here where you have to start out by volunteering. You have to start out by interning, but then you have to get to a point where you go, okay, I've got enough experience where I probably could land a job from this But I've always kind of gone into this with like a blind confidence or call it ignorance. I don't know, whatever you want to call it. But I've always just gone in of like, I can do this job. I'm confident that I could do this job. And if I can't do this job right now, I can figure out how to do this job and I can figure out how to be great at it. Because I firmly believe that we all have the skills inside of ourselves to do anything we want to do. It's just a matter of, do you want to cultivate those skills? Do you want to work with the best coaches and the best trainers? Do you want to put the time in? Do you want to put the 10,000 hours of Malcolm Gladwell, you know, that time in to do this? And I think a lot of people will be met with failure and then they will end and that'll be the end of their journey. I think they'll go, oh yeah, I tried to do that one thing and it didn't work out. So I guess I wasn't meant to do that thing. It's like, well, or or you could have <laughs> or yeah <laughs> or yes, that's one option, yes or or you could have learned from that and got better, and then the next time you were met with failure, you'd be a little bit more prepared for it. So I go into it like, I'll figure this out, I will try my best and we'll go from there.
1: Is there anything that you haven't done yet that's on your radar that you hope to be doing within the next year or two? or maybe next month. Mm. What is what is something that's on your current bucket list?
2: I've been really thrown around the idea of writing a book. So, I think I need to instead of just making this an idea that I throw around, I think I need to it needs to be something that I commit to and then I need to set a timeline for that and then I need to just make it happen. So, a book it's something I'd like to put out there. I did a podcast episode recently. And it was very similar to this, uh, this thing you're talking about, the bungee jumping and swimming with alligators and all that. I called the episode, What the F Are You Waiting For? And it was just the idea that like, there are a lot of people who want to do something in their life and they're right up there on the edge and they, they just want, they just need to take that step off and do it and they don't. And for some people, they never take that step. And the podcast episode was basically like, what the F are you waiting for? Like you're probably going to stumble. You might even fail, but everybody does. The journey of 10,000 steps begins with a single step. But once you take that first step, it's so much easier to take the second and then the third and then the fourth, and then you just kind of get a momentum going. So I think I'm I'm looking into writing a book that has a theme like that. Maybe we even call it
1: what the F are you waiting for? Not a bad idea. That's probably, it's, and it's going to jump, definitely jump out at you for sure. It's definitely going to be something if that was me. sitting yeah. on
2: someone's coffee table. You'd pick that up and go, huh, what's that?
1: <laughs> I hope there's cussing in here. Let me take a look yeah. now. I, uh, I would definitely read that book. Cause again, I, I need that. It's, it's, um, you were definitely an influence on me when I first really started taking foundation radio seriously. And looking into, oh, wow. you know, studying different people and listening to different people's techniques and conversation styles, um, you were one of the people that I really – I looked to for guidance and, and just as an example, right, as a template as to what I could do. And when I stopped caring how many people were downloading my episodes and stopped caring about whether or not I stumbled over a question, you know, or if I if I sounded like an idiot in one section of the show, I just put out the best product that I could – and really, I, I do. I wanted to just to take this opportunity to say thank you for the tools and the the tips and the um, the confidence that you've given me in order to produce this show and in order to continue to continue to take the steps that I'm doing. Uh, so I just wanted to say thank you to you to you for that.
2: Oh, wow. Well, that's very kind of you. And I have done nothing. You have done all of this yourself. <laughs> You know, I think that it's it's important to look at other people in the industry and go, I like a little bit of this, a little bit of this, a little bit of this. But at the end of the day it's you and you're the one that's putting in the efforts. So my hat's off to you. I'm not even wearing a hat, but it's off to you.
1: <laughs> well, listen, if we wore the hat, then we, they wouldn't be able to see the hair. Cause you know, guys you like us, guys like us, you know, we got to make sure it's showed off, you know, it's the whole thing, the parts and all. Now I appreciate that. I do want to talk about back to the future though. Um, cause I, I am, I am staring at your I'm shutter, wearing the shirt because we talked about my friends here at terror of planet X and we're talking about the, uh, the DeLorean, um, how much of those like sort of sci-fi movies, um, I guess is, is Ghostbusters your favorite? Did you get a chance to see go, the new Ghostbusters? It's back to the future. Like, tell me a little bit more about that in your life. Cause I feel like there's this intersection with a lot of people that I speak to with pro wrestling and the sci-fi films. So tell me a little bit more. Is it a fandom like me or is it just more of a casual watch? Well,
2: I love film and I've worked as a film critic for a good part of my career. So I love all kinds of films. This is my most exciting time of the year when all the award films are coming out and we're going to get into Oscar you know, stuff soon. The reason I love Back to the Future really doesn't have anything to do with the sci-fi aspect of it. I just genuinely think it's the perfect film. I think the soundtrack is amazing. I think the characters are written beautifully. I think the movie as a whole tells an amazing story. And what I love about it is... At the core of this movie, it's not about time travel and it's not about a love story. It's about the decisions that you make today affect your future. And when I started thinking about it in that way, it blew my mind. Like the idea of like when Marty's trying to align his parents' meeting, it's like if George McFly isn't spying and falling out of a tree, he never gets hit by a car and they never meet. And that's what blew my mind, the whole butterfly effect of it. And I think about that in my daily life all the time. Like, what if I ran through this yellow light or I stopped on this yellow light? Like, does your life change drastically? I don't know. Possibly. It could. I think about this stuff all the time. And I think about this often when you're invited to go out to drinks or dinner or an event or something, and maybe you're not feeling up to it. And I always just think to myself, what am I missing out on? Yeah, What am I missing out on? If I went to that event or I went to that dinner or those drinks or whatever it happens to be, I could meet somebody that could change my life or somehow them meeting me and I know somebody, it could help them. And I think about that all the time. So for me, that's at the core of why I love Back to the Future.
1: I agree, man. Now, I have to say I'm particular. I know this might be controversial take. Uh, I might get drug on Twitter for this, but that's OK. That's OK. I'm accepting this. Um, I'm actually partial to Back to the Future Part Two. And for the same oh, okay. reasons. Yeah, I was just hoping you weren't going to say Part Three. Jeez, dude, 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 come on. Now, listen, that, that that's, a, that's a bridge too far for me, sir. Now, uh, <laughs> I mean, look, number two is one of those for the exact same reasons that you mentioned. It's because of this idea that, you know, Marty's already fixed it. He's fixed everything. Now he's got to go back and fix it again while fix, It's just like, it's just this incredible sort of, like you said, the butterfly effect of life. Like how many real life decisions do I make on a day-to-day basis that could affect Mm -hmm. literally everything? You know, if I decide to have a sandwich for lunch, instead of sticking to my food plan, I'm not going to meet my goals. But I could, you know, do something else. I couldn't, oh, I'm going to go to Wawa. And then if I go to Wawa, I could see my best friend that I haven't seen in 20 years. You know, it's just like, it's an incredible... Uh, it's an incredible thought process and a thought experiment. Um, I just, I find that so fascinating, man. I really do. Dude, we could do an entire episode. We could do an entire episode about that. Next year, 2022, you and I will do an entire episode on Back to the Future. Um, as oh, a, my gosh. As a film critic, though, I got to ask you um, I got to find out. I always like to ask people about this this idea of, you see it a lot with, you know, and I mentioned Ghostbusters, um, but you see it with Ghostbusters, you see it with like Batman. um, This toxic fandom, Star Wars is another great example of this, Uh, the toxic fandom about people not feeling as if they're included inside of a world that they've sort of like connected with, right? Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker and The Last Jedi, hugely controversial movies for, you know, right or wrong reasons. Why do you think people are so toxic, about things that happen in a movie, right? Whether it's a, 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 a person of color that's a main character, whether or not it's an LGBT uh, you know, character that's inside the movie, whether or not it's an all-female cast, what do you think drives people to feel so toxic about these fandoms that they have and to lash out as hard as they do? Do you think that has anything to do with the film itself? Or do you think that has more to do with the person who's making these claims and, and having these conversations?
2: I just think it's now everybody has a voice. I just think that that's the bigger thing. Like if I was really mad at the original star Wars in the seventies, what was I going to do? <laughs> was I going to write a letter to the movie studio? Like that's the difference. So I don't think it's changed. It's just that all of our, all of our voices now because of social media are now on an even playing field, whether you have a million followers or you have 15 followers, you put it out into the Twitterverse, and it has the ability to be seen by literally every Twitter user. So I just, I think it's always existed. It's just now it's a lot louder. Mm. And and I also think that people who are critical of something always yell a little bit louder than the people who have a positive review of something. If you love something, and this is like the whole Yelp thing, right? If you go to a restaurant and the experience was as you thought it might be, you probably aren't leaving a Yelp review because it met your expectations. Mm -hmm. If your, expect- if your expectations weren't met and it was lower than that, you're probably pretty upset and you're probably going to leave a review. If your expectations were exceeded, I'm guessing maybe one, one in 10 of those people might go, you know what? Joe went out of his way and made this an exceptional time for me. But I think it's when you feel like maybe it's a personal attack or you feel slighted. That's when you want to yell the loudest.
1: I think there's a huge segment of this as far as wrestling, too, because, you know, you and I are involved in the wrestling Twitter world. Um, There was several things that just happened (laughs) yesterday uh, that took place on Twitter. Um, And I feel like there's that difference. It, it, It feels very toxic a lot of times when you have WWE fans and AEW fans that are just constantly screaming at each other on Twitter, constantly making personal attacks. It's like, guys... We're all a part of the same world here. We're all literally watching the same things, right? There are definitely things that I dislike about AEW. There's definitely things I dislike about WWE. But you know what? I'm still watching, guys, because I like this. And I want to see people, I want to see this succeed, right? Like, of course I want to see this. I I just, I, it's, you're right. I think there's there's a lot of people who have a lot of opportunity to have a voice and feel heard. Um, But I do think... The wrestling twitter world man i just i have to like take a step back i have to mute my phone and put it down i'm sure you've seen it because you work you did some work with aew so i'm sure right away oh my god he's an aew work and you know he's sold out and this that and the other i can't even imagine the level of things that that the content that came to you after that um
2: i just i I just don't engage with that stuff anymore yeah after cm punk debuted i put out a tweet and i said like Basically, what a moment. Yeah. I don't know how SummerSlam is going to top this. So mm-hmm. I'm just basically saying like, this was really cool. Is there also going to be something this weekend that is also
1: really cool? Right. And, and people read that. And it's that. like context, right? Literally like, wow. And I said the same thing. Like, this is freaking amazing, right? CM Punk back in wrestling anywhere. He could have showed up at, at GCW and it would have been the same pop, right? Absolutely. But now we have him back. It's like, we, you know, we have him back, right? Like he's ours, but he's here. To me, when I read that, I was like, absolutely. My first thought was, what is WWE going to do to top this, right? So what was the response? But it was
2: read as AEW is awesome and WWE isn't. And I went, how could you, how could, like, what a stretch. Yeah. What a stretch. I and mean, also, it's really interesting that you talk about like the fandom and AEW versus WWE. At the, like, try explaining this to someone who's not a wrestling fan. <laughs> yeah. Try explaining to them that I like wrestling, but I only like one of the television programs and not the other television program. Right. Are you telling me if you're a WWE fan and you were out in the wild, you know, a- outside of a wrestling event, and you saw someone wearing a Bullet Club shirt, that you wouldn't, like, go up to them and be like, hey, man, cool, like, too sweet.
1: <laughs> right. right. Of course you would. You're, you know, you're, you're, you're all in the same universe. Everybody just coexists together. These guys all know each other, and they're all laughing at us because we're all having these arguments about whether or not Roman Reigns or Kenny Omega is better. But it's just, it's... It's just this idea that like, I think people just get too serious. They get too wrapped up with it and they, they tend to lose their facilities when it comes to this. And it just, for me, as far as like, even with my wife, when she reads some of this stuff, it turns her off from watching or wanting to be more involved in the community. And uh, I think it's a shame. I really do. But uh, as far as movies though, I got to ask you, what has been your favorite film so far this year? Has there been anything that you've liked? Has there been anything that you've disliked? I'm going to ask you the hard questions here, Chris is there anything that you've really disliked this year?
2: That I really disliked. Yeah. I'm sure there's lots of things that I really disliked.
1: <laughs> well, what's your what's
2: been your I'm gonna, favorite? I'm gonna, yeah. Uh Man, it's just so it's also really tough for me to like get a gauge of like did I see that this year? Did I see that last year? <laughs>
1: Everything's you know? blending to the time is just melting together with the pandemic. Yeah, it just never stops. It
2: seriously is. There's definitely a lot of things that I need to see still, Mm. but I, like I have a stack, I have a stack of DVDs that I need to see and I will be DVDs, right? Wow. (laughs) Jesus. You just aged yourself, pal. Way to go. Nice job. (laughs) That's funny. I really, I just saw a red notice recently and I'm like, man, you know what? The rock delivers.
1: Yeah. Yes, he does. That was a great flick, man. I really enjoyed that. That was really (laughs) enjoyable.
2: Let me pull up the list here so I can, uh, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, I watched that. I finally got a chance to watch that. I, I mean, I anything Ryan Reynolds does is is fantastic. He could play Queen Elizabeth II and be great. He'd be the f- perfect choice for the role. But, um, yeah, I really and I like the way that they set that up for a sort of a longer, longer ter- arc. You know, another another part of that movie.
2: Yeah, so I, I'm I'm not even googling this correctly. That movie's that's at least going to be two, if not three or four. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, well, I'm I'm not, I'm not very good at Googling. That's all right. right. (laughs) I can't, I I can't wait to see West side story though. I think that Steven Spielberg is like, we are so lucky to be living in a time when Steven Spielberg exists. Yes,
1: absolutely. Oh, licorice pizza. There we go. Let's go with licorice pizza. (laughs) (laughs) Licorice pizza is so good. Is it? Yeah. I haven't seen that one. That's a. Who's in that one? I'm not. House of me. Gucci. I've heard so many great things about. Oh, it, that's so Lady Gaga, Center. right? That that's the new one, right? Yeah. All right, the licorice yeah. pizza. All right, let me take a look at this here. Okay. Uh,
2: Sean Paul Penn. Thomas
1: Anderson, PTA, so good. <laughs> oh, Bradley Cooper's in this one. All right, I'll probably enjoy it then too. There you and go. Sean Penn, perfect. So I'll definitely. Oh, I appreciate the uh, the um, the recommendation, sir. Um, I always typically before I ask for your plugs on the show, I have a list of wrestling related rapid fire questions that I would like to okay. ask you now. So I'm going to throw them at you. Nothing nothing inflammatory, nothing crazy. Just a handful of questions. Okay. So here you go. Your all-time favorite wrestling match.
2: WrestleMania 18, Rock Hogan. That is the correct answer, sir. Your favorite WrestleMania. I'm going to go with the same. It was my first WrestleMania. I was there. It was in Toronto.
1: You were there? Yeah,
2: I was there. And I went in fully thinking I was going to cheer for The Rock, And then Hogan came out, and I went, oh, that's pretty cool. You just dumbed out. pretty cool. I'm going to cheer for Hulk Hogan. You
1: have to. Like, that feels like watching it back and, like, explaining this to my wife. They're like, well, wait. The Rock is the good guy, and Hollywood Hogan's the bad guy. And I'm like, you don't understand. Like, this is the first time Hulk Hogan has been wrestling at a WrestleMania in probably 10 years, right? Getting goosebumps, seriously. And it's like watching these people just having this internal conflict, it's like, well, we love The Rock, but – Jesus, this is Hulk Hogan. You know, I, I just, yeah. man, what was the energy like there? I got to know. Was it just as crazy as it looked?
2: Yes. Unbelievable. I'd never been in anything like that before.
1: Wow. How do you even top that? Like, that's what I keep. When I watch it back, it's like, how do you top that? Why didn't you put that on at the very end of the show? You know, like, how could you oh, not make that, that was the third last
2: match. I can't believe that. Why would you? Yeah.
1: Anyway, we could. We it was could... that. Women's match and then the title match with Jericho and Triple H. Ah, that was the the undisputed, right? When they, the, the big gold yeah. and the, yeah, the golden eagle. Yeah. Why? Why? Anyway, uh, the uh, the worst gimmick in the history of pro wrestling. Obviously, this is an objective question. <laughs> the worst, like, the worst character? Yeah, the worst, like, character gimmick. Beaver cleavage. <laughs> yes, man. Nobody mentions that. Everybody goes right to gobbledygooker, but beaver cleavage. Yeah, and I, I mean, dreadful. that's just too easy. yeah. Oh my god, that was
2: awful! Beaver cleavage. He'll tell you it was really bad. It only lasted two weeks
1: too. I, and he, so I, I was always curious. I remember watching him like storm off when he was doing the. I don't remember when it was. It must have been one of the Raws. And he was like, "You know what? I can't do this." And he walked off. Was that a shoot or was that mm. like? I, 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 I don't needed know. to find out. I don't. That would have to be part of the story. I I'm sure. Think. Yeah. I was just. I. I can't imagine anybody really enjoying that. Um, your favorite current wrestling angle why you know pains me to
2: say it but what mjf's doing is pretty magical yeah he's a terrible human being do not like him
1: dreadful but he doesn't even know who i am and i don't care but you know what i don't like you either mjf let's just throw it out there
2: what he does is it's so interesting and it yeah so his angle especially right right now like the the promo battles he's doing with CM Punk. Oh, that's,
1: that's yeah. That's money right yeah. there, man. That's just gold watching yeah. the two of them go back and forth. The biggest missed opportunity in professional wrestling. Oh my
2: gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Where do we start? Yeah. Katie Vick as a surprise oh.
1: entrant in the Royal Rumble? Oh man. <laughs> I'm going to get a cease and desist from WWE today, mentioning Katie Vick. Yeah. Oh my God, man. We could,
2: we could list a dozen people that should have won a major championship and didn't. It's like the Scott Hall probably should have been WWF champion. Owen Hart should have had a chance to become WWF champion. I think there's a lot of those missed opportunities But yeah, Katie Vick, Katie Vick returning at the Royal Rumble,
1: coming back from the dead. (laughs) Man, (laughs) it's just brutal, man. (laughs) Brutal. Uh, A WWE and AEW crossover event, the forbidden door is kicked open. Do you think it ever happens? I don't think so. Never say never, right? Never say never
2: in this world. But I, I get the impression that WWE... Looks at itself as more than just a wrestling company. They look at themselves as like an entertainment entity. Like, actually, they say it all the time. Like, it's like, like Disney, Marvel. And it's very clear that AEW, Impact, New Japan, all the way down the line, they are a wrestling company. So I think that WWE would be saying to themselves, like, what's in it for us? Why would we do this? Right. Why would we leave our Disney perch and do this? So mm-hmm. I don't think so, but never said ever.
1: Uh, what di- Which did you enjoy better, pre-Russo, NWO height of WCW, or ECW?
2: Oh, I liked ECW so much. Correct answer. Yeah. I'm going to go answer. ECW.
1: Yeah. That is the correct answer, sir. Well That's done. That's
2: nothing against Nitro. They did
1: some pretty fun things in Nitro, but. ECW I feel, Magic. I mean even and you have to like going back and watching some of that stuff. It doesn't really age all that well. Like I went back and watched some stuff and I was like, "Ooh, I don't know about this." Yeah. But it really was when I think about that, I was like, "Wow, I felt like a rebel." You know, like I was in Philly, outside of Philadelphia, Delco actually, in Delaware County watching ECW, I think it was on like WGTV or one of those like small stations where you had to move the antenna around to get the signal in order to watch it at two o'clock in the morning on like a Friday night. You know, I'm at my grandmother's house on 17th Avenue watching this stuff. And like, it just felt like, again, like you were a part of something, like you were part of this like underground movement. And it just, it's so magic, man. It's just such, such a wonderful memory for me. Uh, NWO or DX? I was more of a WWF fan at the time, so
2: I will say DX. But with that said, DX wouldn't really exist if it wasn't for the NWO. I just think the NWO lost us when they added too many members. And I think that anybody in the NWO would agree with that sentiment, that the core group of the NWO was awesome. When they had like 46 members, it's like, eh,
1: you know, we started adding, adding Vincent and Stevie Ray and things are really going off the right. rails here, guys. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to throw three uh, all time potential matches at you. And I want you to just pick who goes over. OK, first one is Hulk Hogan <laughs> versus Steve Austin. Like now back in it, like at the, at the prime of their career, Hollywood Hogan versus Stone Cold at the prime of their career. I would
2: have to think it goes the way that Rock and Hollywood Hogan went. So Austin would go over. Uh, same thing here. Sting and The Undertaker. Sting and The Undertaker. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't know if either of those guys would want to
1: lose. <laughs> I, I. Again, I'm I, I, going to say that The Undertaker wins. And here's, here's where I'll tell you my thought on the biggest missed opportunity in professional wrestling besides the invasion, right, was Sting and The Undertaker doing the cinematic match. That, yeah. to me, will always be the biggest missed opportunity in professional wrestling. Yeah. You had the True. opportunity to take two guys – at the very end of their career, realistically, right? Undertaker was definitely at the twilight of his career. Sting is getting there if he isn't there already. And he may not be medically cleared completely. We obviously we know now, right? But the idea of doing that again, right? My thought immediately went to like a Firefly Funhouse idea, right? Take this yep. idea where you look at Sting, put him as the John Cena, right? Take him, he's like these, this character, he's this larger than life guy, he's the one who saved WCW, and Bray Wyatt takes him through this whole thing. You know what I mean? Like I had this whole vision in my head of, of an eye, really cool idea that could have been done with that. And I just, I just don't know why it never happened, man. I just can't figure yeah. it out. So, uh, and then the final one, Roman Reigns and Kenny Omega.
2: Right now? Right now. Jeez. I would have to think Roman Reigns wins that one. Yeah. As much I'm not as I'm saying. That. I'm not saying one one person or the other should or shouldn't win. Right. I would just think probably makes more sense. And then, then we'll eventually get Roman Reigns
1: and The Rock. Yeah. Ah, dude. I, well, there you go. Who's going to go over on that one? Let me ask Since you are a friends with Dwayne. Uh, who yeah, goes over? Yeah. You bitch. guys are homies. I I can see you texting him off to the side. I get it. I know it, it's a very, very yeah. busy guy. Um, so who go, who do you think is going to go over when that match, when it happens? It's not if at this point, it's when.
2: No, that I think it's pretty obvious who wins that Roman Reigns wins that. Yeah. And it's the rock passing the torch to Roman Reigns. I don't think there's any other answer besides that. I uh, I'm yeah. excited. I think and, I, and that may be The Rock's final match. The Rock right. turns 50 next year. Wow. That's crazy to think. The Rock turns 50 next year, and The Rock, I would think The Rock headlines WrestleMania in Hollywood. He has, and to. I think yeah. a lot of that is just The Rock going. The Rock will be 49, almost 50, because his birthday's in May. I think that's more of The Rock going
1: like, "Can I still do this? Can I still do this? Yeah." And the answer is obviously yes, absolutely, yeah. Now here's I promise I, I I said it was gonna be one more question but now I promise this is one more question Roman Reigns has had the run of his career right now I mean there's to me there's nothing better than the bloodline on TV that entire storyline is solid solid gold is there anybody that can knock him off his perch before The Rock right like let's take The Rock out of the equation because I really don't think there's gonna be a title involved in that match in any way shape or form because I think it means more than the title right who knocks Roman Reigns off his perch
2: I guess the match were for- leading up to is Brock and Roman at WrestleMania. I just don't think that that's it though. No. I think that Roman stays on top because we're going to we're gonna see with Roman Reigns what we saw with John Cena for many, 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 many years where he's the guy. Yeah. He's the guy and he's in that position because he's worked really, really hard to get there and i take nothing away from him. I love the fact that Roman was being shoved down our throats before and he was trying to be a good guy and we hated it. Now Roman's a bad guy He's being shoved down our throats and it's all part of the gimmick now.
1: Yeah. And honestly, I think, I think two things really helped. That was a, the pandemic and the time that he took off. But also, also I really, I have to give a lot of credit to Baron Corbin because I think that feud that they had for what felt like 60 years, that really helped solidify Roman Reigns back with the fan base because you noticed people were turning the tide on him and things were changing. And even though it was like dog food and silly stuff like that, I was in the live crowd in Philadelphia while they were wrestling. And it was, you could feel the energy for Roman Reigns and people were really behind him. And I think both yeah. of those things really sort of played the same role. But yeah, sure. I mean, I want to say Drew McIntyre is the guy that goes over, but I don't know, man. I don't think it's going to happen, but where can everybody, if they don't know where you are, which I would be surprised if they didn't, but if they don't know where you are, where can they find you on social media? Where can they find all of your stuff online? Tell them where, where they can find you, Chris.
2: Well, thank you so much for having me on here. Absolutely. Wherever you are listening to this, you can find my podcast insight with Chris Van Vliet, And I'm on YouTube at just Chris Van Vliet, And then, same. On all social media, it's just my name, Chris Van Vliet. So thank you so much for this conversation. We talked about so many different things. This is a blast.
1: I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. And like I said, I got to thank you for your uh, the all of the the confidence you give me to do this uh, and, and, and really helping me take the next step into doing this. So Chris Van Vliet, thank you so much for your time, man. I really appreciate it.
2: Thank you. Appreciate you. Bye.
0: foundation radio is hosted recorded and executive produced by adam barnard the show is also produced by sam craps special thanks to greg mead joe keen jeff quinn and dr ruth almy our intro and outro music is produced by dumb ugly Find this episode and our full archive at foundationradio.net. Follow us on Instagram at foundation underscore radio. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your favorite podcasts. This has been a Foundation Radio production. Butts Carlton, Proprietor.